Thank you, Sister Patricia. She's a good flute player, and we have five good instrumentalists, and we're thankful for each and every one of them. We're looking at Matthew chapter 17 today. Matthew chapter 17. Yesterday at, at our breakfast, we had an 88, maybe 89-year-old speaker, and he was a blessing, a well-educated, wise man, and I enjoy Brother Ted. He's been attending here. He pastored many years up in Michigan. He, he was a real fireball when he was a young guy. And uh, he got up there at 88. I thought, wow, you know, I, I don't think I'll live to be 88. But to stand up there and break the bread like he did, it was such a blessing. And he will be preaching on a Sunday morning here soon. Uh, I'll be, you know, preaching up in Virginia and up in uh, northern Tennessee um, in a few weeks, and so I'll be gone. He's going to fill in one of those mornings for us. But thank God for the elderly that still serve the Lord. Amen. I heard about some kids that uh, had some good Bible answers. One was asked, what is the golden rule? And he said, do one to others before they do one to you. <laughs> Another one was asked what the big battle of Joshua, the big victory was called. And he said it was the battle of Jeritol. So, one day he'll understand the battle of Jericho. Anyway, Matthew chapter 17. I've entitled this the missing ingredient. Now on Wednesdays we're going through the miracles. And when I get to this miracle in a few months, I'll use a different text. Because this is one of those miracles repeated in three texts. And so today when I'm talking about the synoptics, what that means is the others who wrote about this. The synoptic gospels are the three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they see things together. And they all have a different perspective because they were different and unique people. But Matthew's our writer today. And he was an eyewitness of this miracle. Where Mark and Luke, both inspired to write, were not eyewitnesses, but Matthew was. And remember, he was a tax collector, hated by the Jews because he collected taxes for Rome. And oftentimes, those guys cheated their own people and put some in their pocket. And Rome looked the other way as long as they got enough money for Rome. So he was hated, disliked very much. And he writes, and uh, he's really considered the most complete of our gospel writers. Uh, very accurate. And of course, all scriptures perfectly accurate. But I mean as far as chronology and the completeness of, of Matthew. He covers subjects so thoroughly. 42% of his writings are unique where only 7% of Mark's are unique. Mark is repeated in the other Gospels. John's 93% unique. But here the inner circle had gone up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And of course, they had seen Moses and Elijah, a picture of things to come. They were shining. Remember, Peter said, let's build a tabernacle for Moses and Elijah. And while he was speaking, God interrupted him and said, this is my beloved son. In other words, it's not about glory for Moses and Elijah. It's all about Jesus. That's why we're here. It's all about Jesus. And so here's Matthew writing. And the inner circle, as I said, Peter, James, and John, the fishermen, were up on that mountain. The Mount of Victory or the Mount of Excitement. You could imagine that. And they had to come down now to the Valley of Reality and face the sinful world and uh, great, great men. They were fishermen, and of course, they became fishers of men. Someone said at one time, if God promises, if you catch them, I'll clean them. You know, 
Uh, God wants us to catch men, and he will clean them, certainly. I love uh, Titus 3, 5, not by the, or excuse me, by the washing of regeneration, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, have done but by the washing of regeneration. That wa term washing is a great term. You know, over in 1 John 1, 9, you know the word catheter, where we stick the catheter and he cleanses us. This is a different word. This is a word that all military people are familiar with. It's the word latrine. And uh, no one wants to be the latrine orderly in the military because that's the guy who cleans up those nasty bathrooms. And with drunk GIs on Friday night, I wouldn't want the weekend job, you know? And so God cleans us up from our junk, doesn't he, when he saves us? That Holy Spirit regenerates us on the inside. And I'm preaching, I'm not even to my text yet. But here they come down, and Mark's account says the scribes, which are lawyers, um, and, and the word grammaticus is the word there. They were grammar experts. They wrote laws. They, they were lawyers of the Pharisees, the political group, and lawyers of the, Fer, uh, the, the political groups of Sadducees. And, the lawyer, and there were lawyers of the Pharisees, the separatists. And they were always in, 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 you know, arguing with Jesus' followers. So they had been contending, disputing with the disciples. And now Jesus comes down. Here's a man who had come to the, to the nine disciples thinking they could help his son who was possessed by a demon suffering from demonic possession uh, one account says he's cutting himself he's biting himself he's foaming at the mouth some suppose that was a severe case of leprosy but there's no doubt he's possessed by a demon and one account talks about the interesting note that Jesus arrived just in time right when this is going on they had failed the nine disciples had failed to help him and the scribes are arguing and contending with them, up walks Jesus. And one account says, it was shocking how he was so timely. And, and that's like our Lord, isn't it? He, he's always just in time. N not according to my timeline, but according to his. And so here he is, he arrives. Let's stand and read chapter 17. We'll just read verses 14 and 15. Verses 14 and 15. It says here, and when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, that's the word master, master, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic and sore vexed. And oftentimes he falleth into the fire and falleth into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples and they could not cure him. God bless us as we take a look in your book for a walk in the world. Lord, I, I need you to empower me at this moment. I know my sin is confessed. I have prayed and I'm just seeking so much you to control this hour, this time as I preach, Lord. Speak to hearts and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. We're gonna look at several things. First of all, we have to recognize there was discouragement. All of you have experienced discouragement. Uh, we understand that. Life is hard. My mother-in-law, I was very close to my mother-in-law and father-in-law. He was my assistant pastor. She would say outlandish things sometimes. And she said one time, life is hard and then you die. And I said, Mom, what an outlook. She said, well, it's just true. And uh, it is true. Life is hard. Life's not easy. You know, there are certain preachers that act like just everything's perfect in life if you're saved, yet we know most of the time in Scripture it talks about the hardships of life, doesn't it? 
I mean, we run a race, the Greek word is agony, it's not easy to run the race. And all of you have experienced discouragement. Well, here's a man who's very discouraged. In fact, it says he's kneeling down. He's certainly down emotionally because, uh, you know, he had come for, for, for his son and nothing happened. He's also down emotionally because we know that uh, Mark says he was weeping. So here's a guy, he's just been weeping. He's down. His son has been this way since he was real young. And uh, it, it's, it's certainly scary to him. It's the unknown. It's darkness. We know all that. And his son had been sick. And he's here to ask the Lord for mercy, for mercy. And, and he, he describes his son here. Interesting, he says, my son's a lunatic. And uh, that's an interesting word. Our word lunar is the word moon. It, it really means to be confused and superstitious. So many people today study things, you know, the moon and the planets, and they have all these weird ideas. I always enjoy the Chinese cookies, but I usually get a kick out of the little sayings in them because they're always kind of lunatic, you know. They don't apply to me. And, uh, but, but there are people who really, really base their life on stuff like that. I mean, I'm going to read the horoscope. Got to get the horoscope today. Well, that's, that's nothing. Uh, that's not from Scripture, and it doesn't help you one bit. We trust in the Lord. We don't lean into our understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge Him and he'll direct our paths. We don't need the fortune cookies. But he describes himself as a lunatic, and the Greek word means he's moonstruck. And then he says here, he's sore vexed. On the screen, I have a couple of verses where the word uh, translated here, sore, is translated in Matthew 15, grievously. And then the word vexed is translated the same Greek word in 1 Peter 2.19. He's suffering. So he's grievously suffering. He's, he's sore vexed. He's in really bad shape. And there's no doubt this man's very discouraged. He said he's falling in the water. He's, he's falling in the fire. You know I, I, what I love about our Lord? Satan came to kill and to steal and to destroy. Jesus came that we might have life. And have it more abundantly. And have it more abundantly right now. You know, the world can be in turmoil and your life can be in turmoil. Your relationships can be in turmoil. Your work can be chaotic. But you can have the peace of God and the joy inside because everything's all right. And we were uh, studying in Sunday school, setting your affection on things above. You know what that means? It means to think about the unseen things. Think about the unseen things. Do you think about God's guiding arm as we learned yesterday? Do you think about his all-knowing, sovereign control of this universe? We see what's going on and we're getting more upset by the day. And I remind people on a regular basis, fret not because of the evildoers. It's going to get worse and worse. The Bible said people will get worse. So here's a man who is, there's such discouragement. Satan causes suicide, insanity. If you read your Bible, you'll find all these things. Deformity, deafness, blindness, illness, and disease. He causes all those things. He's the enemy. He's, he, we're in constant conflict with him. Spiritual warfare. He puts those thoughts in our mind. And we see it in society. Now don't judge people who are going through a physical problem. You don't know the why. 
Maybe they don't know the why. You know, remember they came to Jesus and said, is this man born blind because of his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus said, neither, but I want to be glorified. Neither, just to bring glory. And so here he's discouraged. Then there's also disappointment. Now you can imagine this guy. They walked everywhere. He's in walking distance to the followers of Jesus and Jesus himself. So he says, I have an opportunity here. There's a chance for my son. And he walks and he meets the nine disciples. The three are up high and he meets the nine. So he's excited. Boy, what a letdown that was. They couldn't do a thing for him. Now it's interesting because in Mark 16, 13, they had already helped someone who was demon possessed. So you see, they, they had done it before. Maybe they were depending on a method or a technique. I don't know. But boy, was it disappointing. It wasn't just disappointing for the man. The disciples, no doubt, were disappointed. I mean, they had healed and helped people and, and cast out demons. And, and now they can't do a thing. So there was great dis disappointment. Nobody could help. I like verse 17 because Jesus hits the nail on the head. Now, we, we talk about prayer and fasting in this text, but prayer and fasting is a means to an end. The real problem here was a lack of faith, a lack of faith. And Jesus says, he says, oh, faithless and perverse generation. He's not just talking to the nine. He's talking to all of Israel. He says, the problem here is you didn't have faith. You're faithless. In fact, that word translated faithless is, is translated the lack of belief in verse 20, unbelief. They just didn't have enough belief. And Jesus calls them faithless. Uh, you know, I think of, of the fact that we can relate to this man's response to Jesus because he, one account says, he says to Jesus, I don't know how to have belief. I don't know how to have more faith. I've been there and done that. You know, it's the could and the would. I always believe Jesus could do what I've asked him to do. I, I know he could, but I don't always believe he would, you know. And that's where my faith is sometimes lacking. You know, I know he created the worlds, and I know he could handle my situation. He could handle this situation. Sometimes I don't have faith that he would handle my situations. And sometimes there's a reason he doesn't answer our prayer. But we need to pray like this man said, I have a problem. Can you help me with my unbelief? So many times I say, God, I, I don't have enough faith here. Can you help me? Have you been there? Sometimes I don't understand. I say, God, I can't get over what this person's done to me. Can you help me? Do you know God can give you enough grace to get through that situation? That's our God. He can give us enough mercy and compassion for someone we don't like. Sometimes I'm around people and I go, this, this person just drives me nuts. I really don't want to be around this person. And you have to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Can you help me to see a side of this person to where I can help them or minister to them? And he's so gracious. But here, here it says that the, the lack of faith, the lack of faith. And the Lord's the object of the faith. No, notice in verse 17, he says, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? It's all about him. How long shall I suffer you? How long should I put up with you to endure you? Bring him to me. 
Now the man's here crying at Jesus' feet. He's a broken man. For years, his son had been like this. He doesn't know what to do. He's beyond, he's, he, his emotions can't handle it anymore. I mean, he's done all he can do. He seeks the Lord and he comes and the Lord said, bring him to me. Evidently, he was a ways away, maybe with the disciples. So they bring the man to Jesus. It, it, the disappointment's gonna become excitement here in a moment. Bring him to me. Verse 18, the deliverance. And Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. I mean, discouragement, disappointment, and then bam, deliverance. I love that. I, I, I love to see prayer answered like that. I had a prayer answered this week. A small prayer, but you know, when you make a journal and you write it down, all those little prayers add up and they strengthen your faith. And Jesus says the answer again, verse 20, it's unbelief. There's discourse because the Bible says later the disciples come to him and we call it the synoptic accounts and say, Lord, he got him alone and said, Lord, why couldn't we do that? Certainly they were confused. They had done it before. But evidently their faith wasn't a good because he says it's your unbelief, your lack of faith. You know what scripture says? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. First of all, you need saving faith. And so if you don't have that, you can't please the Lord. You're lost. But it's impossible to please God without faith. Someone said this. I like this. Faith is the muscle that grows stronger when we use it. Put faith to work in your life. Test God and grow your faith. Hebrews says faith is the evidence of things not seen. Well, isn't that something? You know, it, without faith, you can't please him. And without faith, you can't really, really understand many of the doctrines of Scripture. Well, I don't understand how God spoke and the world existed. I take it by faith. I can't understand how, all the things, how God prepared a fish to swallow Jonah just at the right time. I take it by faith. So much of scripture I don't understand. I study all week long and there's so much I haven't learned. Romans says it's not wavering at the promises of God. And I might add it's not wavering at the word of God. Accept his word for what it says. Have faith. He goes on to say here, if you just have faith of a mustard seed, the smallest seed in that part of the world. And nothing, of course, is, the point is clear here, that nothing is impossible if you put your faith in God. Love that little song. That's where it came from. Nothing is impossible. And I got to stop singing. I thought when Patricia was playing, I could have lip synced that. I know the song. And you would have thought, man, listen to pastor sing today. He said he couldn't sing. He's been holding out on us. But that's a great song. And I do love that song. Nothing's impossible when you put your faith in God. Amen. I think of the Roman centurion, what great faith he had. He said, Lord, I'm an important man and you're way more important than me. I know you can heal from a distance. His servant with Cerebral palsy, we, we presume. And the woman who had the daughter that was sick, and she said, I I'll take the crumbs, Lord. He said, well, I'm not ministering to Gentiles. And she said, I I'll take whatever you have. I love that. 
I, I have written down here five examples of people with faith that we have to recognize this morning. Number one, Sarah. Hebrews put her in the hall of faith, even though she laughed when she was told she's going to have a son. Why would she laugh? She thought it's a joke. Why? She's in her 90s. No one has babies in their 90s. It's just physically, doctors would say it's impossible. And uh, here, she, she, the Bible says in Hebrew, she's past age. But she's in the hall of faith. She had, the, the, you know, she had Isaac. And think, I think of Rahab. She's watching over the spies. Now, you got to put things in perspective. Enemy spies come into her home. She's running a prostitute house. I, I, I entitled that sermon, Rahab the Prostitute, so people really get the gist of that. She was not a good person, but somehow she came to faith that the God of the Israelis was the right God. And so when they came, she hid the spies from her own people and then watched her own city fall. What an amazing act of faith. I think of Abraham and Sarah. God says to Abraham, I want you to pack up and I want you to move hundreds of miles to a new place. The Bible said he searched for a city whose builder and maker is God. He never found the new Jerusalem, but he, he wandered a, along a route that God guided him on to, to go to a new land. He had to think, well, Lord, you know, can you tell me about the place? I, I got to deal with Sarah on this one. Sarah, bring all that stuff you bought yesterday back to Target. Honey, we can't, we can, we've got to travel. We can't bring that. Where are we going? I don't know. But we're going by faith. And he's in the hall of faith for that. And so they packed their little Winnebago up and packed all their junk. And they got stuff strapped on the top. And then they got all the camels and donkeys. And of course, you know, they didn't have Winnebagos back then. I have to clarify that. There may be somebody that believes that. But their travel, all the animals he had, herds and herds of animals, you know that. By the discussion of Lot and all his servants and all. Here they are. And I can imagine Sarah you know, Abraham, this is really a weird thing. I mean, to pack up, I like it here. We have everything we want here. Oh, but we got to go. And then I get to Joshua. We talked about Rahab. Can you imagine Joshua now, a military commander? And God says, here's a battle plan. I want you to take the ark and the priest and they'll go ahead of you. And of course, that's an awesome type, isn't it, of Jesus? Follow Jesus. And I want you to take all the military and I want you to walk around the city. Every day, walk all around the city. What do you think the people of Jericho are thinking? They're scared because they heard the rumors, you know. But they're looking out and thinking, what is going on? Every day they keep walking around the city. How many days? The number of completion. And then on the seventh day, seven times. And you can imagine, you know, Moses telling his commanders, here's the battle plan. We've got to walk around this city every day. And then the seventh day, and the military guys are probably saying, has he, has he been drinking? Is something wrong with Joshua? What, what kind of plan is this? They see us. They could attack us. You, you have skeptics in every army, <laughs> you know. What are you? By faith, the Bible says. By faith. Strange instructions. I think really most of all about Noah. Now, Noah, I want you to build a boat. 
almost the size of two football fields. He didn't know what a football field was, but you understand what, how big it was. 500 and something feet. Build this boat. It's going to take 50 to 75 years, they tell us. And you say 120. No, let me clarify. In Genesis 6-3, when the command was given, it was 120 years. But in 6-19, it tells us that he had three daughters, and, or three, three sons and three daughter-in-laws. And Jacob, or Jacob, Japheth was born, and I can give you this later if you need it, in 532 when he was 500. And the flood came when he was 600, and Japheth was an adult man helping build the ark. So we know it was between, if he was 25 when he was married and helping him, then it's a 75-year-old building plan. If he was 50, it's a 50-year building plan. But just think about this now. You got to build this boat. Now, they had never seen rain. It had never rained on the face of the earth. So you're building this 500 and something feet long boat. You're going to take 50 to 75 years. Cutting down the timber. Timber. You and your three boys, you got a lot of work to do. Can you imagine that? And you're going to build this monstrosity. And we know the people laughed at him. I mean, what an unbelievable feat. And he, he's doing this. And there's no ocean. It's not like he's building it on the, in a canal in the Mediterranean Sea. No, he's in the middle of a dry place building this thing. And we, we always think it was so simple for them back then to believe. We like to think it was simple for them, but it really wasn't. They were people just like we are people. Do you take everything God says by faith and put it in the bank? No. If we really believed all this book, we'd be different people. This church would be overflowing with people. We'd have people saved every day. Our offerings would be huge, and I'm not picking on you about giving, but let, let, let's take everything literally in this book and put it to heart, and we would be different people, wouldn't we? We would never worry, be anxious for nothing, pray about everything. We'd never, we'd never have any idea of the future, but we'd just totally trust God. And when bad things happen, we rejoice evermore. We'd praise the Lord. See, we, we talk about them, but we do the same thing. We, we, we think that they had an easy time. They didn't. We don't have an easy time either. We're skeptical sometimes. I mean, you've heard stories. Every pastor goes home on Monday and, and starts to think about resigning. Because <laughs> Sundays never are the, the, the heavenly experience you hope it to be. It's always wonderful. I love to preach, don't get me wrong, but we're always somewhat disappointed that the person we invited wasn't there. Or somebody's just not faithful, or somebody's got sin in their life, and there's always something. You know what? As your pastor, I have to lead by faith. You have to follow by faith the Lord. We have to obey scriptures. He, here, here's Noah building this ark. Okay, Lord. I'll, I'll build it, and for 50 to 75 years, they're working on that thing. Unbelievable. This great big boat. And you know, I used to have a preacher I listened to quite often that his, almost every time he preached, he'd say, have faith in God, have faith in God. I think of some things in closing I want to say. First of all, have faith during your trials and circumstances. Have faith. There's a purpose for all of it, even though I don't understand. And if you ask me why, I'll probably say, I don't know. I don't know. 
I have to just trust the Lord like you do. It would be nice if I had all the answers to all the problems. Wouldn't that be great? We have an answer, man. He says, first of all, read the book, and then we'll talk about it. I love, I love the time to pray to God and talk to God, but I don't always get the answers. I have to have faith in my trials and circumstances. You have to have faith in yours that he has a plan for all of it. I don't understand it. Have faith that God's in control. And here's something that it's hard to do. Sometimes we don't have faith that he knows best. Sometimes in my sinful state, you know, I get an attitude. Lord, do you really know what you're doing? What is the point of this, Lord? Why is this happening? And I, I don't know what his thoughts are. His ways are not my ways, but I imagine he rolls his eyes. Oh, brother. Him questioning me. You know, I love God's compassion, his mercy, his pity. And he has to have a lot of it with me. David said, I pour out my complaint to God. Sometimes we do that, don't we? We complain. We point out all the things that are wrong and how can this possibly work out. God knows what's best in your life. And he's preparing you for eternity. Set your affection on the future unseen things instead of on all the circumstances, problems, and finances and things of this world. It's called faith. It's living by faith. And he doesn't always do what we want. I'm glad doesn't, God doesn't do what I want. My life would be a mess. Because if I had everything the way I wanted to, I'd be one arrogant pig. Yeah, I mean, he'd have just slapped me down to size afterwards. Well, I've given you free reign long enough, son. It's gotten ridiculous. You're not content. You want bigger and better and everything this way and that way. You know, I, I know that advice I got when I take a church is try not to go in there and run all the staff off to get everything you want the way you want it. And don't change all the music and don't change everything to the way you want it. Because your way as pastor is not necessarily always God's way, you know. I've learned in my older years to just wait on the Lord. Pray about something, wait on the Lord. I'm so thankful for the staff that I have here, the people that I have here. I'm just so thankful for all of you. You don't realize I'm thankful for you. And it's God's way here. And this is what I want. I want for God to reign here. This is his church. You know, I'm just an under-shepherd to him. It, it, and so blessed to be here. So, so understand, I love being here. But there's times that I say, well, God, you know, I want this or we want that. In my personal life, in my church life, at my mission board. And sometimes I just have to cry out to God and just God just listens patiently. And then he just says to me, just have faith in me. I got this. This is mine. Quit worrying. Quit complaining. Just follow me. Have faith in God. You'll learn not to have faith in our world system, our world. The Bible says don't even put your confidence in men. Sometimes some of the people you look up to the most in life and you think so much of will make big mistakes and fail you and hurt you. 
And if you're putting too much, you're leaning on them too much, you're going to have problems. Lean on the Lord. Have faith in God. If you're here today and you're not a believer, you need to start with simple faith. It may be the size of that smallest seed in the world, the mustard seed, but God can grow it. But it needs to be planted in your heart by the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you're not a believer, have faith in God. If you're here today and you're having problems wherever they are, and you want to just come and pray because you need more faith in your circumstance, come and we'll pray with you. For any reasons, our altars are always open. For church membership, they're always open. For salvation, for prayer, anything, you come. But leave here today remembering that you need faith in God. Just like the nine needed faith in God and all of Israel needs faith in God, you need faith in God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being here today. Lord, I just ask you to bless, speak to hearts as not just now, but as, as we go home, go our separate ways, that we'll think about the importance of faith. And Lord, we just know that uh, you, you, you are sovereign. And, and we sometimes don't understand why the evil in the world persists and why problems keep hitting us. And we seem like we're doing well and all of a sudden, bam, something else comes along and we don't understand, but we have to have faith in you. Thank you for simple faith. And like this man prayed, he said, I don't have enough faith. I say to you today, God, I don't have enough faith. And I pray you increase my faith. Bless me, Lord Jesus. Christ.